time. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to a new episode of Dope Nostalgia with your host, me, Naomi. And we have an exciting guest today who really knows how to rock. And one of my guests who is interviewing him on the show here, it's more like a chat. It's like a totally cozy chat. I really enjoyed it. Recording engineer and producer Scott Green joining me today as well to uh, have that chat with the lead singer of Slick Toxic, a big, huge Canadian rock band in the 90s. Nicholas Walsh on the show today. I also want to tell you about Scott Green and what he's been up to. He has not only an Instagram, but a TikTok. On TikTok, you can find him, one word, cocktails at home. He's making beautiful, amazing homemade cocktails on his channel, and he teaches you step-by-step how to do it. It's so cool. Check it out, cocktails at home. And you can also find that same channel on Instagram. But there it is, Cocktails at Home, Y-E-G, all together, one word. Give him a follow and subscribe and check out what he's up to. So ladies and gentlemen, Scott Green's going to be helping me um, today. As well, uh, we've got a hotline. I've been telling you guys about the hotline and I'm still wanting to chat with you or just get your recorded message and we might play it on the show if you'd like us to. No problem. (laughs) We're going to uh, give you that phone number right now. Get a hold of Dope Nostalgia at 780-851-8785. Just like in the old days, pick up the phone and give us a call. I can't get text messages on there, unfortunately. I can only get phone calls. So just leave us one. Okay, we would love to hear from you. Thank you. Hey, check this out. We also have brand new friends on the podcast too. We are now being played on nomoregamesradio.com. So check it out. You can listen on Live 365, the app, and uh, straight from their website, nomoregamesradio.com, playing Dope Nostalgia every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you, friends. I love you guys so much. Here's a little plug for them. Hey, Woodshed, it's AK. Hey, what's up? Nothing. What are you doing? just sitting here listening to the dope nostalgia podcast what are you doing oh my goodness i am also listening to the dope nostalgia podcast did we just become best friends hey everybody what's up it's dj woodshed and dj ak from no more games radio keep listening to our friend naomi on dope nostalgia podcast and check us out at nomoregamesradio.com once again no more games radio in the house we're putting together a, a big huge event for the blockheads out there with a bunch of content creators, um, including No More Games Radio. We'll be telling you more about that in a future episode. As well, I want to thank our brand new Patreon subscribers out there, Bethy and Kelly. I love you guys. Thank you for subscribing to support the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And if you want to join Patreon and subscribe and help us pay the bills for the show, just go to patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. And you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. All right, let's get to it. Welcome, Nicholas Walsh, to the show. Wikipedia Moments. Slick Toxic was a Canadian hard rock band formed in 1988. Formed in Toronto, hard rock band Portrait was the original name. Portrait consisted of original members, singer-guitarist Nick Walsh, drummer Kevin Harrison, guitarist Kevin Gale, and bassist-lyricist Dave Purcell. 
portrait in its final incarnation was made up of Nick Walsh, guitarist Rob Bruce and Kevin Gale, bassist Frank Carell, and drummer Alex Monroe. Former bassist and longtime writing partner Dave Marcel remained as the band's lyricist. Pat Howarth soon replaced Carell on bass as the band felt more akin to Howarth due to his musical style and also because he was already a friend from the neighborhood. The band was brought to the attention of Drew Masters, who was a national music writer and manager for the band Success. Wait, Success? Sex? Nice. Drew thought that the band should change their name to have more attitude and impact to stand out from the bands that were currently playing on the scene. After adopting a new moniker, Slick Toxic was then asked to be support act for Success. It's hard to say that. <laughs> he was one of those gigs at the Sibony Club in Toronto's Kensington Market area that manager John Boyes saw the band performing. Shortly after that, he courted them to sign a management deal with his brother's company, Robert Lutala Management. Eventually, the drummer had a lineup change and became Neil Busby brought into the fold of the group after a chance meeting between Nick Walsh, Rob Bruce, and producer Paul Gross at an EMI publishing gala. A meeting was immediately set up to start working on an album. After finishing six songs that would eventually become the album known as Doing the Nasty, the band shopped once again, garnering the attention of some major labels. Capitol Records signed the group in 1991 and issued an EP, Smooth and Deadly. This was followed in 92 by the full album Doing the Nasty. Both the EP and full-length album were produced by Paul Gross and co-produced by Anthony Vanderberg and recorded at Toronto's world-class facility studio Phase One. Slick Toxic toured throughout North America and released four singles which helped the album reach gold status in Canada and placed number 61 on the Canadian music charts. They won the 1993 Juno Award for Hard Rock Album of the Year. The White Lies Black Truth video won the People's Choice Award for Best Video of the Year and Hell of a Time took home the Best Metal Video Award at the 1992 Much Music Video Awards. We want to talk to Nicholas Walsh about what he's been doing lately. Many cool musical projects, including Famous Underground, which is a new amazing band. you got to check them out. They're solid. Nick is also currently singing with Canadian classic rock band Moxie for their 40th anniversary CD and tour. And he's singing with Classic Albums Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nick Walsh with my buddy Scott Green. Yeah, well, welcome to Dope Nostalgia. This podcast is primarily focused on what happened in the 90s and what you're working on now. Yeah, We can focus on both. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, Slick Toxic, I got to say, is one of the coolest band names I think that ever existed. Now, it's cooler than the name Portrait, which I, from reading your Wikipedia, (laughs) how how did Portrait, like... Actually, Portrait... When I was really young, Portrait actually came from, we used to be uh, like, I'm, a, I'm an old school metalhead. So uh, I used to be into an artist called King Diamond. Yes. Oh yeah. Which is, yep. one, of the, which is one of the things that actually helped as a teenager uh, create this range that I have, believe it or not. But he had a record called Fatal Portrait. So ah. that, was, that was what I brought to the table at that time for my band, Fatal Portrait. And then people were saying, like guys in the band were saying, well, then you're like, what are you, a King Diamond tribute band or something? So then we just cut the fatal and went to portrait. And, mm-hmm. and, and, then, and if you look at me now, I could say, well, it was really about the portrait of Dorian Gray. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, that's where that came from. And it's funny because you're probably one of the first and only people to ever say slick toxic is a cool name. Most people go, what the hell is that? Including that's me well, when it, when it came up, it was like, what? Oh, dude, dude. When, uh, when slick toxic was on the go, like I, I have memories of, of that. Like, I, I mean, I was born in 80. So I think, I think you had that record come out uh, doing the nasty, like 92, I think. Yeah. Like I was 12. I, I was in the prime then, man. Like I was much music all day. And, uh, and I thought slick toxic was a super cool name. <laughs> power <laughs> hour, power 30. Well, yeah. yeah the, the thing that has impact about that name is just like using the F word. It's the at the end of each word right so it's it's right. got some attack to it yeah, yeah true. that's true yeah that's what made that name sound but if you if you put the words together you're just kind of like what like they don't <laughs> it doesn't make sense you know but whatever what's in a name slick yeah. cool world word toxic's a cool word you put them together i, I know but together it just kind of like what that's why we named our ep smooth and deadly was to give people uh a sense of what our name meant you know okay kind of like a play on our own name interesting and do people spell it wrong all the time too constantly you know back in the day it's so funny before we had a record young and uh we were just a new band sort of on the toronto scene we had played multiple shows where our dressing room you you had to you had to ask uh, are these guys just like having a goof on us or are they sincerely getting it wrong one of them was uh, sick tonic at, at one place, uh, you know, and, and the list is endless, but sick tonic is the one that always comes back to my, to my mind. So. <laughs> oh, according to your Wikipedia as well, you had challenges getting the original demos done, choosing the right producer and et cetera. Do you have any memories of that time that were like, I do, I do. Um, what had happened was uh, at the time, the management that uh, was looking after Slick Toxic had also been uh, working with a, an English producer that had just come over to uh, Canada from the UK, excuse me, whose uh, credentials included Scorpions, uh, which at, at that time was a band that we were interested in, as well as some bands, I guess, from you know the, the mid to late 70s and so forth. And unfortunately, the, the, the man was more into the scene of being a producer as opposed to being a producer of uh, music. So yeah. there was a lot of alcohol and, and uh, things involved that just the, the, the sessions were a, a nightmare. Wow. And we ended up having to get rid of the producer and we ended up doing that, completing that session with just the engineer at the time who was a great engineer, uh, did a lot of sort of the, the early uh, to mid 80s rock stuff in Toronto, worked with the Killer Dwarves and such on their uh, Stand Tall album. And so we continued to work with him, brought in uh, another guy during the, a couple of guys during the mix, uh, somebody I grew up with who actually worked with Rush and uh, a guy by the name of Anthony Vandenberg who uh, actually co-produced our Doing the Nasty and Smooth and Deadly uh, releases. So mm -hmm. it, it was a long process, but, uh, you know, one for the experience books. It's good that you went ahead and did it the right way. And Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, like today with what we have for technology and 
I'm in my home studio right now. I mean, you can't see the gear in front of me. You can just see guitars and stuff behind me. But, you know, to do three songs took us like six months. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous, you know. And th these are the days where we used to be in a rehearsal spot, you know, five to six nights a week, uh, hashing through the tunes, changing arrangements, rehearsing these arrangements. Now you can do that by like copying and painting. Oh, let's try putting a chorus here instead. If you're doing these demos before you even really have to track them as a, as a, a band or whatever. So is part of that have oh. to do with the fact that you were recording an analog a lot of the time? Uh, no, were, I just, were you already I just, digital well, by that time. Now we just keep in mind that those are the days where a recording studio uh, was cost, the, the costs were huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a, as an independent band, just to cut a demo, the way we would do a demo normal, like previous to the demo that I was talking about, you know, we'd all be pooling our money in and eking by uh, to, yeah. to, you know, do a demo in a weekend and try to get as much done as possible. So we spent more time in the rehearsal hashing through the songs and recording to a, a boom box or whatever at the time i was the guy the big man on campus with a i had a, a, a tascam four track you know uh and now we all have pro tools logic cubase everybody has something at home that we can record what you know essentially costs like toxic a quarter of a million dollars to do the first two records we can do for next to nothing so so true just like video, like you're doing the podcast, you got the green screen behind you, you, got, you know, that stuff, uh, like the slick toxic videos for hell of a time and white lies combined, were probably about 200 grand. Yeah. Now you can do that with an iPhone. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, it's insane, man. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. You, you talk about recording, you know, in those days, it was such a, it was such a different mentality. Like today, yeah, you, you know, everybody has setups, you know, you go to a studio and even like a, you know, a bigger commercial studio, it's, you know, they don't charge the same day rate as they used to. No, no. And when we were doing the record for doing the nasty and, and here in Toronto at phase one studios, I think the chargeback to Capitol records, like if we had done it independently, I'm sure Paul Gross, the owner at the time and producer of our record would have cut us a better deal. But the chargeback, I believe, to Capitol Records was probably somewhere around fifteen to two thousand dollars a day. Yeah. And we had it booked and we had it booked out for twenty-four hours a day, you know. Right, you had like, locked out, yeah. For like for three months. So, you know, do the math. And then we we mixed the album in California, uh, at uh really beautiful beautiful studio called the complex that at the time was owned by uh the band earth wind and fire yep. and uh again beautiful gear huge place but i mean imagine how much that costs just just to, to mix the record with with the mix engineer you're looking at about 50 to 60 grand and we were there for two weeks so yeah. that's crazy crazy, man. crazy times yeah so one, mean, of the, one of the more positive no. things that have happened when it comes to musical uh, change, I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, these are the these are the times we we dreamed about, but the part that we didn't dream about was the fact that now being independent, you truly are independent, and if a label's interested in you whatsoever, uh, they're taking everything because there is no revenue stream for them like there used yeah. to be. Uh, so yeah, those are the parts we didn't dream about. <laughs> 
Yeah. And you sort of have to have basically you have to be as low risk as possible for a record label right now. Like they, they, they don't want to invest anything because I mean, like you said, the revenues are so low. Uh, you basically have to be self-sufficient rolling already. And yeah. then maybe they'll, you know, they'll look at it, but absolutely. I, think, I mean, know. again, think about um, if, if we're going to go back to that point, that was in, let's say 1990, that was 30 years ago. So 30 years ago, the A&R or the typical A&R department at one of the big labels at the time. And at the time there was a whole bunch of big labels. Now they've all got shrunk down to like two or three companies that own all those labels, absorbed them all. But the A&R department was sifting through literally about, you know, a thousand to 1500 demo tapes a week, because if they didn't, and let's say EMI didn't go through this one tape and Warner found this discovery, that guy from EMI or Capital or whoever would, you know, be handed his ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. How come you, you didn't missed out it? on the next Nirvana or you missed out on the next U2 or whatever it was at the time. So they were going through tapes and tapes to find people. So they sifted through the bullshit, if you know what I mean. Now, we as, you know, music lovers and individuals, we're forced to sift through the bullshit because yeah. anybody and their mothers can put out yeah. music now. So, yeah, the gatekeepers, the gatekeepers don't exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the regulation, I, I, that was one of the things that I, I can truly say I do miss about uh, the music industry, believe it or not. It's, it's great to be independent and everything, but, you know, like athletes, that the, the sports industry is still the same in that respect, because you still have to be a talent that worked really hard to get discovered and drafted or, or chosen or the opportunity to come to, I'm a baseball guy, so spring training or whatever. Mm -hmm. You have to do that in sports still. But with music, it's not like that anymore because there's only a handful of people that they will pick and everybody else is free to roam and put their stuff out and, you yeah. know, whatever the case may be. So the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's true. What a good uh, take on that, actually never thought about that yeah well think about sports right like think yeah. about somebody like a, somebody who's an olympic athlete well those people are training and working their asses off with no money they're not making a living no mm. different than a, a struggling band was back in the day doing all the best that they can independently olympic athletes getting you know uh, endorsements or sponsorships to help them survive to become these these you know people that are representing our country and now you know music is not like that in any sense of the word so and those athletes are probably getting more respect from their parents and, and peers <laughs> than the musicians are. Okay, that's a real true. job that's right? true that's another story altogether right? so, <laughs> always have something to fall back on yeah, you know? yeah. get a real job yeah. I mean, I, I got to be honest, guys, I was very fortunate. My house was like, if you've ever seen the, the, the show, that 70s show, mm. uh, that was my house, except for it wasn't Donna and Eric and all of them just hanging out. It was a band, you know. So wow. my parents, it was my house that the band used to rehearse at in the basement. And, and you know, it was, it, my parents were the supportive ones. My dad, when I was 14, I was fortunate that I had a father that, uh, you know, he put up the dough to send me into a, rec a real recording studio at 14 to cut my very first uh, demo um, with a band called Virgin Angel because we were virgins. 
<laughs> nice. I love you it. Know? I love it. So I was fortunate in that respect. I I, I had the um the, the the background and the the support system that a lot of people would have loved to have had growing up. I mean, some of the guys in my band didn't, so that's why my house was a haven to them, because they would get the encouragement and the praise uh, for their hard work, as opposed to like cut your hair and get a real job. So, thank goodness for parents like yours. That's cool. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now, the two of you, Scott and Nick, how did you get to know each other? Scott, you can take this one. I talk uh, a lot, so. <laughs> um, well, I, I, you know, Nick is a is a singer with a, with a company uh, called Classic Albums Live. Mm-hmm. Um, great company that you know tour around everywhere and do like these these wonderful you know classic albums. Um, and they're based they're based in Toronto, uh, but but they travel everywhere. So they were coming out. They wanted to expand out west. Uh, and do some stuff in Western Canada. And, you know, uh, I mean, there's there's a cost that's attached to flying an entire group of musicians. Cause I mean, a lot of times those bands are big and these are, you know, great musicians. And so I think what they wanted to do is try to find some local musicians at West here that they could sort of incorporate into it. Mm. And uh, so I, you know, I got, I know, I know we have a mutual friend, um, uh, Brendan McMillan, who's a great bass player that uh, I, I work in another project with um and uh, you know he just texted me one time and said hey you know there's uh there you know do you do you play led zeppelin tunes and i was <laughs> like, like i do now <laughs> i was like yeah dude i'm totally a zep guy i love i love that shit so yeah. i uh so he's like okay cool man well i'm gonna pass your name along so anyway um you know we did um nick sings uh in the led zeppelin group and uh, the guys came out. We did a run of shows. I've done I've done a few other tours with that group as well. And I think we've done two Zeppelin shows now. We've done. Well, we did uh, two and four. We did two and four. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and since then, if I could join in, Scott. Since then, Scott has also uh, helped in recruiting other people for the the Western stable or the Western arm of Classic Albums Live. Uh, so I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go out there and play with a multitude of musicians doing different shows. I, I do multiple shows. I, I'm very fortunate that I have a very diverse voice and, and, a, and a big range. So I'm capable of doing other people or, you know, covering other stuff pretty close. So um, 
I've gone out West to do that. And, you know, sometimes Scotty's not available. He'll pass the buck to somebody else. And, and everybody that's come through the doors uh, from Scott have just been, you know, top-notch musicians. And it just makes our job that much easier. You know, it's like, I suppose it, it's in it, it, to some degree, it's like going to Nashville and going in the studio. And in one afternoon, you, you've cut a demo with like the world's greatest players. So that's what we do, but in a performance sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no real rehearsal. It's not like we fly in four days before and rent a place and rehearse. We literally go and if there's anything, because we're doing it to the album, Naomi, like note for note to the record, if yes. you're a good enough musician and you can lift this stuff and play that, it's about, you know, if somebody makes a mistake, then they weren't doing it to the to the record, so to speak. And when I say mistake, right. I don't mean a human mistake. I'm talking about like the arrangement of the song or anything like that. Because you're practicing this note for note, that's the only time it's going to be different is if somebody duh, has a brain fart and ends up doing something, which is not uncommon. I mean, we're only human. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting gig. It's it's one of the one of the coolest gigs I've done. They're 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 sort of like a bit of a pressure cooker because there's a there's a lot of pressure on you. There's you have to do a ton of work in prep. Um, it's all you know, prep work. Yeah, yeah, and if you do that prep work, uh, the, the gigs are super fun, and uh, you know that sort of thing. But it's it's not it's not a gig that I would pass along to everybody. That's for sure. No. You, you got it. You have to have like major trust in the people that you're referring to do that gig, and because you have to know that they're going to put in the note because it has to be note for note. You've got to be super familiar with that record, and you also have to have um, the access and the wherewithal to be able to get the tones right. Yes. As well, like like as a guitar player, you know, having the instruments, having the twelve strings, having the the right guitars and and the right pedals, and uh, that's a bit of an art to, uh, all into itself as well. So, well, one one of the good things about uh, most of, most of the people who have come through the doors of the organization, musician wise, they're all independent on their own. Uh, in their own right when it comes to production and things like that anyway like a lot of the people are are professional at home with their own home studios doesn't even matter if you're a drummer or guitar player or what everybody that i've worked with that comes with all have their own home set up and really have their gear and uh that know-how dialed in so that's how we met yeah yeah, yeah. yeah just and a few drinks here and there how about you guys <laughs> <laughs> okay i would say it was that's a good that's a canadian drink right there that's a caesar you got it Pontiac. oh nice nice <laughs> that's that's a good breakfast drink you got that right <laughs> so sorry sorry to uh change the subject here. no that's cool uh we uh scott and i met more than a decade ago definitely probably around the time that i started taking his recording engineering course at power uh -huh. sound Nice. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I learned a lot from him at that time. Well, that's, that, that's the, sorry, I want to chime in. That was the one thing that I was a little curious about when I was invited to do this. Like Scott reached out to me first and that's totally, you know, I get it. But then when you said, oh, you know, I want to, I want to schedule this. So Scott's there too. I didn't know whether or not he was a part of your show or just popped in once in a while. Cause I did see that you had done this before. This I is believe. the first, first time he's been a guest here. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. I thought I saw a picture of you doing this, but I see pictures of you every day, Scott. 
I watch I watch you I watch you making you know uh, old fashions and and yeah. you know simple syrups and things for 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 very very uh, artisan style cocktails the way they're supposed to be made. Mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, yeah, hey man, you know especially during COVID and all this, like I'm just I'm just finding ways to like busy myself and to be creative as much as possible. So sure. yeah, yeah. Cool. It's like so we, have Naomi, the time, we have the time now to do these things, these pipe dreams we had exactly. to actually get sure. it done. Yeah, absolutely. Naomi, I was going to ask you. So since you took the uh, sound engineering course with Scott, mm -hmm. is is this sort of the realm that you had always wanted to go in is more? Not at all. Oh, really? What was no. your what was your deal? I wanted to produce music as a backup plan in case my band didn't work out. <laughs> I, I, lo I love that. That's her backup plan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know. so Naomi is a great vocalist as well. I don't awesome. know. You probably, I'm not sure if you had a chance to hear her sing at all, but yeah, no, I she's, have not yet. She's a, she's a wonderful vocalist uh, herself. Great. So, yeah. Well, after after we do this, I will definitely I, I'd like you to send me. Could I go see it on Spotify or where do you have your music? Sure. I can just email you a track. No problem. Oh, that'd be great. I love it yeah oh thanks so <laughs> when you that. so when you you wanted to produce bands let me tell you something about that <laughs> so in in um after the slick toxic thing uh had sort of unfolded which was uh i i personally was responsible for leaving the band that i had started uh in 1995 and uh, i told the guys i said you guys can go on use the name. I don't care. Like I need to move on from this. This is not happening for me. I was 25 at the time. And I, I said, you know, if I'm going to continue in a path of music, it's not going to be with this outfit anymore. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Right. Um, so I was responsible for that. Uh, I had put together another outfit with a couple of people that I had, uh, well, one person that had played in the band with me previous and uh, some people from other uh, groups in the Toronto scene. And the unfortunate part about that was I had gone to uh, Greece on vacation in 97 with my wife and her family. My wife is Greek. And I had set up meetings in Greece with some of the major labels, Polygram and a few other labels. And my mother-in-law actually was my translator for these meetings. And I had some interest over there. And then I call back home to give the great news. And one of my guys is in rehab. One of the other guys is this. So at that point, I kind of said, you know, I'm done with trying to be like, a, a, a full-blown democratic band situation like because that's where I came from I came from the school of like you know half the guys were like you know my buddies from when we were teenagers and all that and mm -hmm. and and instead and and even with Slick Toxic I mean I had opportunity by major label to sort of ditch the other guys and and go do my own thing and I chose the other guys I chose my guys and maybe the guys in Slick don't know that story. Maybe they do. I don't know if I've ever let it out of the bag, but that opportunity came across and I chose my brotherhood, right? Mm -hmm. um, which in hindsight, you know, I mean, I, I, I did the loyalty thing, but I don't know where I would be today if I had chosen that route, right? Yeah. But I, 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 so fast forward back to me being in Greece with my new project and this and that. And then I just said to my wife, I said, you know, I'm done with this sort of, trying to band everybody together thing, I'm going to just sort of 
take a break from this. So I, I got into um, the acting field for a while. Oh, really? And I was doing everything from, uh, I started doing background work because it was sort of my first foray into it. I was an ACTRA uh, union member, so I was making good money doing it. It was probably more money. I was making more money as an extra than I was in Slick Talks. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but so I was doing that. And then I started to do some other things like commercials and, and uh, stuff behind the scenes, such as uh, stand-in work. Like I worked on... I worked with Kiss on the Detroit Rock City movie for like two months. It, you know, it was fabulous. I, I, I saw, Naomi, that you did a whole special on New Kids on the Block. Well, just, just to sort of go to yeah. something similar, I did a whole series of commercials with the Backstreet Boys. Sweet. Uh, um, nice. Again, these things were just like, wow, this, and, and I'm the only one that I have to babysit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I did that for a while, and then uh, a friend of mine, who actually, Scotty, you remind me a lot of, and I told my, my wife this, friend of mine who had just come back from uh, Berkeley uh, School of Music in Boston uh, that was a longtime friend and collaborator with anyway, we decided to open a recording studio. And this was, this was like the year 2000 or 2001. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fun for a while, but this brings me back to you, Naomi, of being a, a producer. I never thought I'd see the day where I was chasing musicians around for my money. Like I did so many things for so many people. I did spec deals, uh, got people factor money that they were supposed to pay me back. And I never saw a dime. I, I even helped out some band that got a huge publishing deal with Zomba Jive in the States. They ditched me on it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just went, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel on that one. And I'm going to go back to just dealing with music on my own uh, sort of terms and hence where I am today. So, you know, which I, I'm much happier for. I don't blame you at all. I mean, there's a lot of times where I look at my situation and say, first of all, it shows that you have a lot of character and loyalty because you care yeah. about those guys, but you're screwing yourself over. Now I'm doing something that I enjoy and I'm responsible for, and it's great. That's awesome. So, you're, you're the writer of your own destiny, right? <laughs> It's good. 100%. So I'm, I appreciate you saying that because it really rings true to me. So, well, I'm glad as I see Scott still in the writing sessions and the studio producing other people. I just hope that for him, mm -hmm. it's a different situation than it had been for me and both uh, for you. Uh, you know, you know, it's um, I've been I've been fairly lucky. I mean, it's definitely been a, a grind and there's probably been multiple times when I and when I should have packed it in. Uh, but I totally understand what you mean by like chasing people down and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we're all musicians here and we love musicians and that's our whole life. But, you know, a lot of musicians are, are hard to get a hold of. They're, they're flaky. They change their mind fast, you know, all those, those sorts of things. So I've dealt with a lot of that over the years, but I've been lucky to have a good core of people around that, uh, that I've been able to work with and, uh, and supportive, uh, you know, supportive family and that sort of stuff. So. Um, being able, you know, uh, Naomi mentioned uh, Power Sound Studios that I worked at for for many years. Phil Anderson there gave me a really, really great uh, opportunity to sort of teach his program and then use his studio to do a bunch yeah. of projects. So it put it put a solid footing for me for me there. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's who knows what what's going to happen. Uh, I don't know from one day to the next if I'm going to keep going or what I'm going to do. But for now, it's 
still happening. Well, again, like you said, Naomi, it's the loyal thing. And, and as musicians, from a very early age, like from whenever you start to be in a group situation, that's when you have to learn the diplomacy of people's personalities and character. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, sometimes people are really hard to work with. Sometimes people are really easy to work with. Sometimes people just, they go along with whomever. Sometimes there's factions and groups and stuff. You know, people are always asking me, why, why did Slick Toxic break up? And, and it's like, why did Soundgarden break up? Why did the Beatles yeah, break up? Why did this, break you know, up, yeah. uh, why did the Rolling Stones have multiple people come through the doors? You know, like you, you can ask that question, but imagine being married. This is what I always say. Imagine being married to five people at the same time. You can't satisfy them all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You're in tight, especially COVID now, right? You're in tight knit quarters yeah. and you start to, certain parts of personalities start to come out in certain situations. And in my case with Slick Toxic, because it was a band that had been formed originally when, you know, uh, some of us were in our late teens and some in the early twenties, as we progressed together, we all started growing in different directions and Mm. our priorities and our tastes and our ideas and so forth were changing. And, you know, that's where I felt at that time, for me anyway, that the best thing for me to do to be happy and not have a, a knot in the pit of my gut every time I had to either A, go to rehearsal or whatever the case may have been, just to, to get that weight lifted off my shoulders. And believe me, even that meeting that I, I had had with the guys, uh, just to say where I stood and when I left, I mean, this is again, pre-cell phone days. I got on a payphone and called my wife from the parking lot of where my car was parked and, and said, I did it because I had a choice. I had just written a couple of new tracks, demoed them on my four track at the time. And I could have either gone in and said, okay, guys, this is, this is what I want to do. Or I could just, and I didn't even bother. I didn't want to play them my new music. I didn't want to do any. I just wanted to clean break. And, and I did. Mm-hmm. And so made me feel real good. But that's why people who don't understand what it's like to be in a band are always saying, why did this band, they were so good. How about a reunion? Like, you know how many times I get reunion? Are you nuts? (laughs) 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 Why don't you get back together with your wife that you've been paying alimony and child support to for the last 12 years? How about that? Empire. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to say like, the cool thing about being in a band was these guys were my friends. We enjoyed each other's company, uh, made each other laugh and all of that shit. But as soon as one of them decides, I don't know if I want to go on a tour. I think me and my girlfriend are going to like do this. And then I'll be like, what the hell? Yeah. Just put me in that position. (laughs) I know. Say goodbye. We've been been working towards this goal for like two years. And now you tell me you can't go on tour because it's your sister's birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, like what you know <laughs> i know i know but see that's the thing about musicians and 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 artists in general is their dedication to what they do and you know the 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 true colors come out and this is what i say even about classic albums live or any current projects that i'm, I'm working on now because most of the people that i'm involved with are close to my age now if you're still playing music in your mid to late 30s to, to your 50s, 
Well, obviously, A, we know you can play or sing. That's not in question anymore if you're still doing it at that age. What's in question is your character and your integrity and, and if you're easy to get along with. And I think to me, those are the, the top criteria to getting involved with somebody. Because as I, it's not like I'm, I'm starting a band and I've got, you know, teenagers in my group or whatever. I want to make sure that the people that are on the same mindset, you know, um, you're not getting involved with it's, you know, the, like the old famous. Uh, oh, yeah. OK. You know, you put an ad somewhere we're looking for a drummer. Yeah, I got a pair of sticks, but I'm in between drum kits right now. Well, then you're not a drummer, are you? <laughs> right? You know, yeah. or or, you know, oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to come audition. Can you pick me up? what so the moment is if i have to be responsible for a grown-up you're not in (laughs) amen makes total sense man and you got to be able to play that led zeppelin song note for note without turning it into a solo about you yeah that's true too after these messages we'll be right back Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Dope Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. Tonight, from wherever in the world you are listening, give a big hand for your host, Hello, I'm Easy Bigby May from Price Tag Pod, and I'm so excited to be a part of the Dope Nostalgia podcast. Price Tag Pod is a new cheesy game show podcast due to release on April 2nd. Price Tag Pod attempts to put a price tag on your dignity, and to do this, the show breaks down into three easy parts. First, we ask our guests 11 uniquely ridiculous questions. 376 pounds. Uh, you have edible glitter in all of your drinks for life. Oh, no. who, who would agree to that? No, never. $500, Tim. Oh, $500. For the whole of next year, you have to have a mullet and a mustache. Ooh. $100. Would you drink from your best friend's toilet bowl? Oh. Next, we negotiate a price. £110. Oh, I think it's definitely worth more. How much you got, pal? Give me, give me a number. Let's do two hours of your pay then. Let's do $22. $2201. I'll take 2201 Alright, we'll do 2201 You just want a weird number, right? Then at the end of the show, we calculate the total. $370,784.95. You were worth $395,717. Bucks. Nice. That's like almost a two-bedroom condo where I live. And that's it. We have fun, the guests have fun, and we see how cheap or expensive people's self-worth really is. To follow the show, just type price tag pod into your friendly neighborhood Google engine and we'll show up somewhere. Have a great week and we'll see you on the show.
Ragu introduces Chicken Tonight Simmer Sauces, and suddenly everybody's saying, I feel like chicken tonight, like chicken tonight, chicken tonight. Choose from four new sauces. Each one's made with real vegetables and herbs, so you can make dishes like country French chicken and chicken cacciatore. Just brown the chicken, simmer, and serve. I feel like chicken tonight, like chicken tonight. New Chicken Tonight Simmer Sauces from Ragu. Chicken tonight. was on the show and he mentioned um sound engineers and the ones that uh he's he he's like there's nothing that frustrates him more than a somebody who comes into the project who's being paid to do a certain job who starts telling you oh maybe you should move this over here and don't tell me how to write the song do what i paid you to do yeah it well exactly (laughs) it's i i wrote it and arranged it this way for a reason now, if I'm working with a producer that has a credential or somebody that I have uh, um, respect for their work and they suggest something, that's amazing because collaboration is such a, a wonderful uh, uh, thing to do if it works. And when I say if it works, is those things, the mutual respect where you can let your guard down and wow, I didn't think of it that way before. Let's try that, you know, ideas. Yeah. If, ideas. You're, if you're open to it, like that's the thing though. Like if, yeah. if, 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 if that's your role in the process, I think his point was just- I get his point. The ones who are trying to put their label on what you're doing so they can tell totally, other people they did that. Yeah, I totally get the point. It's like, I'm going in and renting, paying for studio time and the house engineer guy that they're doing is turning around in his seat and saying, hey, but it's like, I don't think so, buddy. Push the buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Scotty. Yep. Oh, no, no I, I absolutely no. I, I want to like stay in your lane, right? Like if you're hired to do, yeah, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're hired to tune the drum kit, if you're the drum tech, you know, don't, don't, don't be offering, uh, you know, ideas for fills to the drummer. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the point. Yeah. 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 Totally. Oh my goodness. I love how off track we go. This is a good conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you actually have some questions? <laughs> well, because this, when you this get is, this me, is this better is than what, my questions. Naomi, this is when you get me on anything. This is what you get. You get like a, a conversation. 
and we just talk and we float around because we were, you know, we all have experiences that will sort of interconnect and, and it's a yeah. good thing. So. This is better. This is the way it should be. It's just having that conversation. Isn't that what a work. podcast started out as yeah. originally way back in the day? I think so. Yeah. Off the cuff. Yeah. Nothing really planned out. It can work. Like that rap. Like rap. <laughs> rap used to be rap used to be off the cuff. <laughs> uh, what album track did you record that you wish would have been a single? Oh, uh, for Slick Toxic, you mean? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's it's really weird because unfortunately for Slick Toxic, the album had been finished one whole year before it was released. So if it had come out when it was finished, it would have beat Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 to the punch. It would have beat Slave to the Grind by uh, Skid Row. And it would have beat a couple of other things that had come out. So our band at the time, because of the genre that we were sort of uh, marketed into, and, and, you know, I'm not going to blame labels. Uh, like some guys in the band have sort of used that that way to say, you know, they lumped us into something we weren't, that's not true at all, actually. Uh, and I can say that because, you know, as the, the guy that formed the band and started the sound, um, we, like the very first song that I had written for the project was a song called Marionette. And it was myself, Dave Marcel, who was my best friend and, and lyricist uh, for Slick Toxic and uh, guitar player, Rob Bruce, we had written the song, but I was the one that, again, initiated this thing. And and it was the Appetite for Destruction record by Guns N' Roses that just like changed my, whoa, they just like blew me away. Yeah. I was like, finally, music can be dangerous again. Yeah. And finally, music can have some attitude. Everything up to that point in the hard rock genre was very, very palatable and, and uh, uh, clean, so to speak, yeah. if you know what I mean. Oh man, uh, so, I remember. I remember. Sorry to interrupt there, but uh, yeah, I just got to talk about that album for yeah, a second. Yeah, see, there we go. I, like, I remember being a kid. Like, I, I asked for that tape for Christmas, and so my parents got it for me. How they old had... were you when you got that? What uh, year were you born, Scott? I was born in 1980. Okay, so it came out in '87, but it really didn't take hold till about '88, '89. Yeah, like I was probably eight or nine years old by the time I it it uh, it got to me and. I asked for it for Christmas and I got it. And my, and I, my parents had no idea that the kind of stuff that was going to be on this, uh, on this album, I'm sure. And I just have these vivid memories of listening to appetite for the Dest destruction and knowing exactly where the curse words were so I could turn them down <laughs> so that my mom wouldn't like take the tape away from me. Cause I sure. knew she would, if she heard like, oh, it's absolutely. So easier. you're doing your own censorship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, sorry, I digress. Here. No, no, no. It's great. This is what it's all <laughs> about so guns and roses was the first band too that i had to really hide i and, really and i had to sneak my way to the concert like my mom isn't didn't even funny? know yeah like we're all like talking about having to hide guns and roses like isn't that an amazing thing like it, it is absolutely amazing but like how i started talking about this like it was dangerous you know yeah. it was it was what it was what public enemy and maybe nwa were for the rap world in the rock world like the first thing to come out to go, holy crap, they're saying fuck and, and yeah. telling you to fuck off and stuff and songs. <laughs> yeah. So it had like a punk attitude, but this really cool, sleazy metal rock vibe. Like, like it was a combination of like, you know, friggin' like the Stones and, and New York Dolls meets like Sex Pistols meets the sound of new 
I don't mean new as in NU metal, but the newer metal sounds of the of that day, right? It wasn't thrash. It was still really bluesy. Mm-hmm. You know, classical elements like Metallica had classical elements in, in their solos and stuff. Guns N' Roses was really just balls out blues crunch yeah, bluesy, uh, stuff. Yeah, totally. But that was what sort of started the whole idea from the portrait to slick toxic thing. And that was the that was the original sort of song, Marionette. But that what I, where I was originally going, you asked about the single. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, by the time our record did come out, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 were already out and Guns was touring with bands like Soundgarden opening up. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in uh, the States on tour with Slick Toxic. And I, I'm not sure, but I think I was somewhere like maybe in California and this is back again, payphone days. So I would phone home once a week or every couple of days, you know, call my girlfriend or, or my parents or whatever. And I remember talking to my dad my dad's a, a British guy. Um, uh, he's from Liverpool, uh, Birkenhead, which is basically Liverpool, England. And, you know, he was a real supporter of my music. As you know, I told you earlier on and he says, Nick, have you ever heard of this band Nirvana? And I'm like, Nirvana? What the hell is Nirvana? He goes, yeah, they're going to kill your music dead, he says, oh, right? fuck. Wow, he knew. Like, he, so, he had... Yeah, so in, then yeah. literally, like, the next... Oh, I know where we were. We were in Utah or something. Salt Lake City, Utah. So literally, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that night, after the show, go back to the hotel and turn on MTV to, to try to witness this thing. And I see Smells Like Teen Spirit come on. And I'm like, what is this shite? Like, the guy can't, he's out of tune. He can't sing. Sounds like he just woke up. This is what I'm saying in 1992, right? Yeah. Sounds like he just woke up. His guitar's out of tune. You call that a guitar solo? He's just playing the melody of the singing. Like, like this yeah. is what our, this is where our brains were. Because at that time, we were used to shredding guitar players and shredding vocalists and and melody up the yin yang I, I mean i know that mm. kurt and, and nirvana have have melody especially when you heard the unplugged unplugged stuff it was kind of yeah. like you know hearing some of the like early british stuff when you when you hear the songs done in that form and as time went by and you realized yeah you know, this is good. And you pick which ones you like from a scene. I mean, I was a fan of more like Allison Chain Soundgarden. Those Me are the too. I yeah. like. Yeah. But because that killed our, our scene dead, we chose not to release a song like By the Fireside, uh, which was a quote unquote power ballad, which mm-hmm. if it had been released a year or two before, I might have had a, a nice house from it. You know what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah. But timing, it, timing is everything, eh? Timing is everything. And the label waited a year before they released our record. And do you know why? Because they wanted a simultaneous release everywhere, mm. as opposed to let's release it in Canada now. The next window for it to be released in the States is in six months from now. And to release it over here is another six months. They wanted to have a big worldwide release. So it took a year, it waited a year for the window. And by that time, the window of opportunity had closed. Wild. We saw it when we were on that same tour. We were opening up for Ingve J. Malmsteen. Oh, and yeah. uh, we were uh, after after that conversation with my father. So we're going up the West Coast to come back to Canada to do our own headlining tour. So after, you know, playing in Utah and, and California and, and going up to Oregon, I remember us 
in Oregon. And the next place we were going was Washington State. We were going to be playing in Seattle, the home of this thing that's killing our music dead. <laughs> right. So we had an in-store. I believe we had an in-store that day. And uh, I remember asking fans, uh, you know, hey, like when we play Rock Candy tonight, is it going to be a bunch of flannel shirts and Doc Martens booing us off the stage? You know, will anybody show up? And they're like, no, man, that's just, that's how they've made Seattle look. But Seattle's not like that. That's just one pocket, one scene, one little part of the music scene has blown up, you know, around America or the world or whatever was going on at the time. But no, you know, and sure enough, we got to Seattle and we played Rock Candy and it was stuffed with rockers that weren't looking like Kurt Cobain. So, uh, you know, that's when it sort of dawned on me that, you know, a scene can happen, a pocket. And because it's the chosen one at the time that gets all the attention and the marketing and everything, they make you believe that. One of my favorite bands back then was Queensryche. They were a Seattle band. You know, oh, yeah. I was a big fan of Ann and Nancy Wilson. They're Seattle based mm. people. So, it, you know, it didn't kill heart. It didn't kill, you know what I mean? So. No, and the grunge movement was something that took me forever to accept, honestly. I don't think I actually appreciated it until it was over. And, <laughs> and, and when I did, it was like, like, like you said, it was Alice in Chains and it was Soundgarden. It wasn't Nirvana for me in any yeah. way. It was for all my friends at the time. They all loved it. And I, I felt weird because I'm still the girl sitting there listening to the Extreme album. Yeah. Like, like I want the big choruses. I want the guitar sure. solo. And it felt like the death of the guitar solo was happening right before my eyes. And it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't. Well, you know, I found really funny about that, guys, was that back here in Toronto at the time, so after we, we had won a Juno award and, uh, you know, it was time to get working on the second album, which we, we pretty much had doing the nasty part de wrapped up, uh, as far as the, the demos were concerned, not, not the actual recording and the label sort of switched gears on us. They were saying we were supposed to be more organic and I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean? like sing out of tune and and, and and don't wash our hair. Is that what more <laughs> organic means? I, I, I don't know. Yes. So, you know, you know, less screams, more uh, less guitar solos, maybe do some acoustic based stuff. And, and it was just like a head scratcher to, to us because I, I that's when I would say things like to the A&R department at, at Capitol Records. Have you heard Soundgarden? Um, <laughs> Chris Cornell screams like Glenn Hughes and Ian Gillen of Deep Purple. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. You know, so this sort of weird thing happened to us. And in the meantime, the artists that they were signing were all sort of copycatty. Uh, oh, let's try to find the next Nirvana. Let's go try to find the next uh, Soundgarden or whomever. Yeah. Uh, next Jane's Addiction and stuff. And, you know, we were kind of left to sort of doggy paddle to the to the edge of the shore to to get back up and, and shake ourselves off and go, OK, well, I guess we're kind of back to the drawing board. And that's when we recorded an album aptly named Irrelevant, uh, which was sarcasm, by the way. I wish we put that. I was going to ask sarcasm. you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, and, and that record was like just us being pissed off and angry 
And we had taken some of the elements of some of those bands that I'm talking about now, the Alice in Chains, uh, Soundgarden type stuff, and sort of ditched the leather pants for jeans and and uh, Scarborough dinner jackets. <laughs> well, I think Scarborough dinner jackets, what we call lumber coats around here. Oh, that, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. I I think it's interesting, you know, when you like I, you know, I'm sure that was a really frustrating time for you, you know, in your career, trying to trying to kind of move things forward or whatever. But it's so interesting to hear that now because it's such a, you know, whatever the music industry has been through now, like, you know, it's, it's sort of been dismantled and it's kind of trying to find its way again. And and like we were talking about earlier, you know, bands having to kind of or artists having to recreate, you know, sort of create themselves and be everything. Yeah. But um, the thing about, I think the positive to that is that we don't get as many situations where, where something big happens and then we have all these people telling us we have to be like that, that thing, you know, like everybody's looking for the next Kurt Cobain at that point. Like, yeah, it's, that sent a wave to the whole music industry where now everybody had to be like Nirvana mm -hmm. and strip everything down. I think these days, because with streaming and everything there's an audience for everything yeah. and it's and it's your job as an artist to find your audience right. you know if you're if you're into making you know viking metal and yeah. dressing up like vikings or yeah. or pirates or whatever and that's <laughs> and that's what you do and i'm that's not laughing at those people i'm laughing at your reference at your, your <laughs> yeah, but right but like there's a there's an audience of people who love that Absolutely. and and then so so you're being unique to yourself you're being authentic and you're fulfilling your own creative um, needs, but you're also filling these needs for this group of people. And it might be niche, might be really small, but they're going to be so loyal to you. Yes. yes. You know, no, I totally, I totally know what you're saying. And it brings me back to something that we talked about about 30, 40 minutes ago about the A&R department at a record company, sifting through everything to, to find the, whatever the next thing is. Um, that is the one benefit to what you're talking about right now is that everybody gets a, a chance at doing something in that respect and, you know, not relying on uh, whether or not it's accepted or not. And now you got to like go crawl with your tail between your legs. But the, the downside to it is that there's a huge amount of stuff to go through before you like, you know, here's something as an example. Um, there's a promoter here in Toronto that I've worked with and I've known for 20 plus years uh, his company's called Inertia Entertainment. And he brings in a lot of niche, I say niche, to Canada. But these are bands that are huge in Europe, like Nightwish or mm -hmm. uh, or Ghost, BC. Like these bands that over in Europe, they're, they're headlining festivals in Germany or whatever to thousands of people. And then all of a sudden, Two days after the show happens here in Toronto at the Opera House or the Mod Club or something, I'm hearing about, oh, I heard uh, show, I see a clip like so-and-so was at a show and it's, like I said, Nightwish, let's say, and it's rammed. It's just rammed. The, the place is stuffed. And I'm like, I didn't even hear about this show or who's this band that, you know, just packed the Opera House here in Toronto or the Phoenix Concert Theater or something. And that's kind of what you're saying. Like, if you've got your ear to the ground for a specific niche or that's what you're into, you're going to know about it. And, and that's the great thing about the opportunity to find that, but also 
it's hard to find if you don't know what you're looking for. Absolutely. Like lately I've been getting into listening to some like early seventies. Um, I don't know what they call it. I mean, it later took on a name like stoner rock and stuff, but it's like bands like captain beyond and Warhorse. go check them out, whatever. These are bands from the early seventies and it's blues based progressive rock, kind of like what deep purple was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like that thing. And it's like so cool. I'm telling my wife over COVID, I'm going to do an EP of this shit because it just, I just love it, right? It's so cool. You get to totally, you know, the B3 organ is there, you know, that type of sound. Sounds great. But then I'm finding now because of Spotify, I'll go to like Warhorse Radio or Captain Beyond Radio. Now I'm finding bands of today that are doing that genre of music, you know? Yeah. So it's, I'm going, when did this album come out? It says like 2011, 2015. I'm like, what? Cool. <laughs> yeah, man. I have those experiences too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then, it, and then it gives you that hope for, well, maybe I, you can do something like that. And there's a, there's a market for it. I think so. Oh my God. We flip flop all over the place today. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> have you ever played a European music festival? Uh, actually, Two years ago, 2019, was the first time that I had an opportunity to do one. And here's one of the things that's really odd, okay? Because over here, we consider a music festival uh, generally to be like an outdoor shed type event, right? Like, you know, the band, you're, you're outside, it's sort of a, a free The Molson Canadian Beer Garden and... Yeah, whatever, <laughs> all that stuff, right? Yeah. But over there, they'll cons- a festival is just a lot of bands over a certain period of time. So I had the opportunity, I've I've been playing for about the last five years with, uh, again, a band that's kind of like that Captain Beyond, Warhorse stuff, Deep Purple that I'm talking about, a Canadian band called Moxie, um, who I was asked to participate with about five years ago. And I have done since we recorded, we did a re-record of like their hits from the seventies got some deals for it around the world, released it and all that stuff. And uh, uh, we, we played in Belgium at, at a festival two years ago called, I think it's called the Legends, Legends of Rock Festival. And it, they're, they're indoor. Like it's like playing at a big club, right? So you're playing at this big club. Outside, they've got vendors everywhere selling vinyl records, T-shirts, paraphernalia, Inside, they've got vendors set up in the venue, uh, in certain areas of the venue, doing the same thing, but it's an indoor festival. So the actual uh, performance area, you're probably playing in front of maybe, I don't know, anywhere between 800 and 1500 people. Uh, But the festival itself, there's more than that. So you can pop in and see a band, go out, buy a t-shirt. Oh, this is the band I want to see or whatever. And we played with, again, like bands from the 70s that I'd never even heard of, right? Uh, a couple of them I've heard of. I mean, you've heard of Fog Hat, Slow yeah. Ride. You know, we played with Fog Hat and a couple other bands um, out of the States, some from Europe, some from England. I, I got to uh, perform we played just after uh, a guy by the name of Uli John Roth. Uli John Roth is a, uh, he used to be in the Scorpions in the early 1970s guitar hero. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for Uli, there'd be no Ingve. If there was no Ingve, blah, blah, blah. Like one of those legends, right? Cool. Fantastic people. 
but yeah, so that's that's the biggest sort of European rock festival I've had the opportunity to play. Slick Toxic never made it to Europe, unfortunately. Again, timing, just mm. timing. <laughs> over the years being the singer that you are a phenomenal vocalist have you ever had trouble with taking care of your voice have you ever had trouble where it wasn't there for you or and what have you done anything specific to take care of it over the years yeah okay so in the early days like when I was a young man in Slick Toxic those were the days where like for example uh, when I first discovered this it was when we did our first major tour and we were playing six set, uh, six nights a week. Um, you know, it would be like four shows in a row and then maybe a day off and then five shows in a row and then a day off, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And we were, um, you know, young, drunk and stupid. So uh, what I found at that time, it took a while. I, I used to smoke cigarettes and, um, you know, hang out after the show yelling and screaming and and next thing you know, I can't sing anymore. And I called my vocal coach up from somewhere in the United States and said, like, you know, crying, basically crying, like, because I mean, like Samson and his long hair, my voice was my strength. And if I don't have my voice, what do I have? Um, so I was just like the confidence level, like from a guy that's like, yeah, man, you know, to like, oh, my God, I want to hide under and put my head in the sand. <laughs> Cause I can't hit screams and do what I'm, I'm sort of recognized for. I called my vocal coach and I, you know, what can I do? And she told me, you know, you know, go, go to the drugstore, buy Friars Balsam. Do you know what that is? By any... Oh, I absolutely know what Friars Balsam right, so is. Go, go buy Friars Balsam, put it in a bowl, get some hot water, inhale this stuff and, mm -hmm. and take this and all, just like all sorts of remedy stuff. And I did what I could at the time. But when I got home from that tour, I took it upon myself to quit smoking cigarettes. And then like a guy in jail, you know, putting the little marks on the wall, five, scratching them, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I started to do that with my shows to go perfect show, perfect show, perfect show. Uh, because I had too many of those experiences where I'd lose my voice or, or whatever from doing stupid things. Well, obviously, I'm a much older person now, a much more experienced person now. And really, 
All I do is live my life now. I make sure that I'm hydrated every day, every day, even when I'm not performing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I drink water and, and hydrate and, uh, you know, don't scream and yell. And when I'm on the road, I go back to it. You can ask Scotty or, or the guys. I don't really party too much. I mean, I do have to let loose once in a while. Every now and then you have to. Yeah. 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 But usually I like to do that when I know that, okay, we just did a show and I have a day off tomorrow or a travel day that I, I'm going to be resting. I can go hang out with the guys. But for the most part, I, uh, when I'm doing show after show after show, I have to go back to my hotel room, um, just chill out, uh, stay away from it. That, that's pretty much, treat again, back to what we were talking about with Olympians, treat myself more of, of like an athlete as opposed to a, as a rock star. Yeah. You know? Man, when I quit smoking, I lost, I gained so much range back, but yeah. my rasp is almost non-existent now. And I loved my rasp. Well, I don't know how old you are and I don't want to know. But what I was going to say was that uh, for me, I still maintained rasp. I mean, I, I've always, I, I don't know if it's because of the way I sing or I have yelled or, or because of the smoking. But I mean, my, my father has this voice too. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you've got one of the, you should do wake up calls for, for people. Hey, hey there, it's <laughs> yeah. your wake up call. Hello. <laughs> like I, I have a smoky voice anyway. Yeah. Um, so, but as a vocalist and a sort of method vocalist, I've learned how to create the heat or clean it up. So, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what voice I'm doing or what type of, uh, inflection or embellishment I want in a song will determine how much heat uh, rasp uh, I can use or do. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I would never put myself into a situation. I've told Craig Martin, the owner of Classic Albums Live before, don't ever ask me to do old Rush, like Rush or, or, or ACDC, stuff like that, because I have a career to think about. Yeah. You know, maybe if I was doing, you know, at a jam night, a buddy's jam night and having a few tequila shots, I'll get up and do You Shook Me All Night Long once, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to do that, you know, for a whole set night after night. No way. No, because, and I mean, you do, you do a wide variety even to, like you said, you, you know, you turn the heat off and put it on, but like you, you're quite a chameleon with your voice too. Like mm -hmm. you do everything from like, we talked about the Zeppelin stuff, but you do like the Bowie shows. Queen. Like, and Queen. Yeah. yeah. Like. I mean, that's a, that's a wide range, man. Yeah. And I'm fortunate that, you know, one of the things that a lot of male vocalists um, <clears throat> lose first is their falsetto and their head voice. And, you know, I've made it a point because that's the, that's sort of where I came from. I, my high stuff I can use as a weapon, so to speak. Um, I don't do it as much as I did in Slick Toxic. That was when I was young and everything was just, ah! like everything was right up there <laughs> i don't do it as much um in my newer stuff but again i i have the ability so when you use it as a weapon it has much more impact and also less impact on your vocals on on, on the strain on your body right mm -hmm. like when i go on the road doing zeppelin if i'm doing night after night at zeppelin for that gets tough um but you know doing something like Tom Petty or something like that. I mean, as long as you still behave night after night, after night, after I could do like 10 shows of that in a row kind of thing, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But 10 Zeppelin shows, no, 
because you're going into the falsetto and the head voice a lot. And um, yeah, it just takes its toll on you. But, yep. you know, about that, when I was younger and into GNR and stuff like that, and when I would see these guys come out and just squeak squawk, like la, 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 they couldn't even sing anymore. I, I always said, I don't want to be that guy. Like yeah. when I'm 30, 40, 50 years old, I still want to be able to go out there and do what I do. I don't want to have to drop everything down a full step. I don't want to have to, you know. Bon Jovi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kiss just did that on New Year's in Dubai as well. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to have to drop everything down a full step and uh, to compensate for uh, my lack of ability. Uh, I just never wanted to be that guy. So it's uh, it's been, uh, you know, one of those things that I, I've really, really strive to to maintain. It was smart of you to think about that early before it was too late, right? For sure. Now back so, in, sorry, no, no, back in those days too, and you guys are just like having the time of your lives and, you know, living, did you live that rock star image? Did you guys, were you scandalous? Were you bad? Partying no, too not, much? Uh, not me. Uh, a couple of the guys were, which is why, you know, we don't see them doing music anymore. Yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate. Like, I, you know, I don't want to say to anybody there's ever going to be a slick toxic reunion because mm -hmm. I've, I've shut it down so many times the talk of it. Uh, I've had promoters asking me, I've had, you know, uh, um, ex band members, uh, fans, whatever. And I'm, I never want to say never, but it took me so long. Like the bands that I, I'm involved with now and, and some of the players that I'm involved with now I've played with for a longer period of time than I ever did in Slick Toxic it's kind of like that Sammy uh, Hagar David Lee Roth thing with the Van Halen band it's like I remember at the time people taking sides but then when you looked when they were both gone and Gary Sharon joined the band Sammy Hagar had been with the band longer than David Lee Roth had been with the band you know what right. I mean uh, like the career with David with the records, I believe was seven years or something. And with Sammy, it was more than 10 years or something. So it's the same type of thing. So, um, mm. but uh, back to the reunion type of thing, it could never be a reunion because there's no possible way that certain uh, past members or original members of the band would even be capable or able to be a part of it. I mean, I have toyed with the idea of, like my email address suggests, the Nick Toxic thing, um, where I go out and perform some of the songs, even with my band Famous Underground. I mean, sometimes we'll pull out uh, an old Slick Toxic one from the vaults just to satisfy some of the people. That's cool. And, you know, I don't mind reliving memory lane like that, but no, by any means, I don't expect it to uh, be my my next mainstay if you know what i mean mm. yeah understandable and what is happening right now with famous underground i mean obviously we're in a pandemic it's hard to do anything as a musician like for touring and such but tell me about that uh that famous underground like your experiences with that well and what's with going on now well with famous underground uh i'm pretty much sitting on a a, a whole album's worth of material that's pretty much half done ready to go but the decision was made by myself and my partner, Lorianne Green, to release an EP, which I literally just finished putting, you know, the mixes and mastering together. Um, the plan was that we were fortunate enough to be offered 
a spot doing a live streaming show where I have been doing streaming concerts for the last four months with Classic Albums Live. But right now, based off of what's happening uh, with the pandemic and lockdowns and stuff, I'm not quite sure um, how this is going to work and it might be postponed. Uh, but the EP will still probably come out. We're thinking around March, we're going to, we're looking at doing something. Um, the reason why we've chosen an EP as opposed to releasing the full record uh, is because, you know, without all of the proper uh dots over the I's and the T's crossed, it's easy to let a couple of years of hard work dis disappear in a couple of weeks once it gets online. Mm. Um, so at least, you know, we a couple of years ago, we released what we called a Digital 45, which was an original track and a cover tune. And now we're going to like, ooh, five songs, we're going to release five songs or four songs now. And, you know, then after that, it might be a single a few months down the road, because that's the thing about the ever-changing world of social media is like here today, gone tomorrow. If you, if you don't stay sort of in the eye, as you know, but you have to have content to do that too. Uh, so that's where we are with Famous Underground. Um, I'm also working with ex-Slick uh, ex Toxic drummer Neil Busby on his project. He's got a project called Child, which was a band that he had pre-Slick Toxic uh, in the 80s, uh, more of a traditional heavy metal band. I did a song with them this past summer and we did a video for a song called Ride Out, which was a song that I believe was written back then, I don't know, 84, 85, something like that. Right. And now we're doing it. Uh, I just finished recording uh, the vocals for another song that they have called Field of Fire coming out soon. Um, not quite sure what we're going to do with the Moxie project. Uh, I know that there has been talk over the last couple of years of doing some new material. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, doing it, I guess yeah. you could say. Uh, I'm going to continue to work with Classic Albums Live. That seems to be uh, probably outside of the pandem pandemic, the, the most consistent thing I do to keep performing, keep my chops up. Uh, I perform with or excuse me, I record with people all over the place. Um, I am fortunate enough to have been part of the sort of music licensing world where, you know, I've done some records where stuff, you know, uh, geared towards sports and whatever. I've heard some stuff on the MLB network, other places. Uh, I've been singing on, um, I sing on some of the uh, intros to, programs on Nickelodeon and YTV. Uh, so, cool. yeah. you know, I just, I'm all over the place and I'm really fortunate to, to be able to do that. I'm fortunate to have the, the production chops and, uh, you know, gear at my fingertips and I'm able to work with people from around the world. I, I did some songs with a guy by the name of, name of Avi Rosenfield over in Israel. Um, so I, you know, it's great. That's one of the greatest things about this technology, how it's made, the music world so much smaller you do not have to be in the same room to write you don't have to be in the same room to record uh, it's fabulous
Have you been able to do a lot of projects remotely as well, Scott? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's sort of been keeping me going. Um, done a, a few singles now for for artists. Um, I just a little while ago did finished one for uh, for a girl uh, in Quebec. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a project now. I've been working on this one for, for quite a while with uh, an artist named uh, Jezebel Slade, uh, which Nick, you, you know, I, you guys both know uh, Cammie. I played that. with yes. her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we played a show with her. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, we, so we've been writing and working on a record with, uh, with Arnold Lanny, who's a great producer. He's down, he's in California. So we do zoom songwriting and, and you know, and, and record things and bounce them back and forth all the time. So it's, um, yeah, it's it, the technology is is amazing that you can allow you know, still be creative, still work. It's a little bit different, but I mean, it's uh, it, it still works. I mean, you know, you can get your ideas across. You know, I think I think um, one of the main things that we as creators have inherent in us is the ability to adapt. Hey, nice kitty. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, is the ability to adapt to our, our, our situation to still do what we do. And we've seen a lot of that. I mean, prior to the pandemic, I was doing it already uh, with people. Mm-hmm. But since the pandemic, it's just happened a little bit more. And uh, we've seen new ways of, of being able to uh, perform. I, I know that I worked with uh, Maddie McKay and a couple of oh, the yeah. guys out there uh, in Calgary uh, the last time I was out west doing the Tom Petty uh, show. And those guys were doing the drive-in concerts. Yeah. And then out here, we started doing the drive-in concerts in the fall as well. So, I mean, there's different, you know, different case scenarios that will allow us as musicians, entertainers, and performers to, to do what we do. Yeah, the, um, the drive-in shows are really interesting. I, so I play with another band called the Dorena Harvey Band. And so she's been, you know, she's been keeping me really busy. We've been on the road all, you know, all through the States. I mean, we just got back to Canada before they closed the borders when COVID happened. We were, we were down in Florida and North Carolina. And so we, were, we had a real thing going on. It was great. There was a lot of momentum. And then, of course, COVID happened at all, got canceled, a mm. bunch of tours and stuff. But we were, we've been able to do, we, we did a drive-in show, which was amazing, like a really cool experience. And also, like you mentioned, Nick, uh, like live stream shows. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we did one of those as well. And, uh, you know, you got to get creative. You've, you've got to find ways to reach your audience and your fans. And, and it, you know, people seem to be, you know, reacting positively to it hopefully we don't have yeah. to do that forever but you know it's a it's well, a way to you know, get music out there a, a lot of like we're living in that day and age now where i mean people are like glued to these things you know what i mean and and because there's so much variety for people to um you know occupy their time with if you can give them something that they're able to have access to immediately it's wonderful you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, whether you're on your phone, your tablet, your computer, the TV, everything is so interconnected now that those streaming shows and, and you know, different forms of entertainment online. I, I mean, you know, I love the experience of going to see a big action film at the theater, no doubt about it. But it is pretty cool that I've been able to watch some of these things on my TV at home and pause it to use the washroom you know no, get a drink whatever but something that is like 
that you would have a theatrical release for? Well, it's been like this already for years for us as musicians. The day of lining up at your favorite record store to buy a new cassette tape or CD or vinyl record because it's coming out at midnight tonight, mm. those have been long gone for us. So the, the fact that now the movie business and the TV business has finally seen what we've been experiencing for all these years, it doesn't phase me at all. You know, mm. to me, it's just about convenience now. Absolutely. That's a very good point. And if anyone can figure out how to work around this kind of a situation, it would be creative types, you know, yeah. <laughs> like getting it done. Now, the interaction between the crowd and the artist, though, is something that can never really be replaced. So it'll come back. Yeah, come people back. people keep asking me, like, how do you, how do you do these streaming shows in front of nobody? Uh, and I mean, I, I just put myself into the mindset that a I'm a, I'm a performer anyway. Like when I'm in a rehearsal and I'm getting into it, I'm, I'm performing for my band members. Like I'm looking at them and like, I'm into it. Right. So I just sort of equate it to, well, when you're performing a music video, you still have to look convincing. And if you like the music you're performing and you know it well enough and you're into it, your body and and your rhythm and your soul, everything automatically, you know, uh, knows what to do. Yeah. It Yeah. But it also, as, as a viewer watching it, they automatically are seeing that you're not just going through emotion. You know what I mean? Um, so I just kind of put it into that mindset. And it, it's funny because uh, where we're performing these shows in Belleville, Ontario, uh, the way the, the laws were working, they were allowed to have 50 uh, people in the theater. So I had seen a couple of the classic albums live shows that I wasn't a part of where they had 50 people in the theater. Well, then two weeks later, I'm in there. And I completely had forgotten about this. So, you know, the show's at eight o'clock. Uh, usually it's a dark stage between 7.30, like 7.30 and eight, you're not allowed out there. So about 10 after seven, I go out to put my waters, my towel and, and uh, with Classic Albums Live, we have music stands with, with uh, charts and stuff. I go to put my stuff there and, and, I, and I hear people and I look up and I see all these people in the audience and it's the first time I'd seen an audience in, you know, seven months or whatever it was, eight months. I was like, whoa, hey, uh, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> like, completely <laughs> forgot about it. And, and just the fact that even the 50 people that are into music or 30 people or whoever showed up that night, it means that much to them that they're going to come in person, pay the ticket price to come and watch you play and have the intimate sort of experience in a theater that normally ho holds whatever it is, 800 people or, or I don't know the numbers, but, mm. you know, is like pretty amazing and it gives you that extra little boost so you know either way it's uh i've always been a, an entertainer for my bandmates and started off in front of my mirror to kiss records so <laughs> i gotta entertain myself first right <laughs> <laughs> you've thoroughly entertained me today i appreciate awesome. it well uh, yeah, i thank you so much thank you so much for inviting me on here uh the way scotty told me he said that he saw your list of people you'd like to and slick toxic was on there and he's like i know nick perfect it worked out great yeah i'm glad it did yeah <laughs> yeah and i've learned a lot from you talking today so thank you so much for that opportunity i really do well, appreciate it well i appreciate that you say that to me that makes me feel humbled and i'm probably red-faced now <laughs> <laughs>
I had mentioned to you, Scott, earlier that you reminded me of my friend, Sean, who went to Berkeley and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and you make those drinks and everything. Well, his father, who's passed away now, but um, we used to always, my wife and I, we used to always go over to their house for Christmas Eve. And his old dad was like the full on bartender guy, right? Like, nice. so he'd always make my wife, Patty, an old fashioned or do you want a sidecar or do you want, you know, so you'd always be there concocting like, because my wife, I, I got to admit, Scotty, on my birthday, you're like, oh, you got something good in that glass, right? You're saying yep. to me, but I got to yep. admit, I'm a bit of a poser because um, my wife is really the whiskey. She really likes the whiskeys and that, right? She's oh, okay. on all of that. Cool. I can have them once in a while. And I like them once in a while, but I actually, for Scotch whiskey, I get affected. Like my glands get swollen. And it's probably because of the casks and the age and the peat moss in some and all that stuff. Totally. Right? So yep. I have, I stay away from it. I prefer Canadian whiskey myself. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that because I was like <laughs> that night I was like, Ooh, I was really dipping into the stuff that I shouldn't be drinking. Oh, that's sweet, um, yeah. But it's my wife. She's totally like all the drinks that you make Moscow mule. Like she's yep. the, she's the booze drinker. I just, she's stick Beer, Caesars, and and generally Canadian rye whiskey, but uh, okay, and tequila, Canadian. good tequila. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I got my good tequilas. I got my Avian. I got my uh, Patron. I got all that in my bar back there. But sweet. And yeah, yeah, man, it's it's weird. I I love that. Like I I love you know back when back in the day when we could actually have parties and have people at our house and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I totally assume that role, man. I I just like want to make drinks for everybody. Concoctions. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I, again, thank you so much uh, for uh, inviting me to this, and it was a yeah. pleasure meeting you, Naomi. You too. Stay in thank touch, you. Scotty. We'll talk to you soon, and you guys you enjoy. How do I hang up with this thing? Uh, I think you just uh, hit the Exit. red button on the okay. bottom. Hold on. Red red oh, yeah. It's, it says leave, but hold on. <laughs> there it is. Okay, guys. Thank you again. Cheers, Hi, brother. Nick. Stay safe. Talk to you, you soon. Too. You too. <laughs> no, but I definitely wanted to take the time to talk about your channel so that we can direct everybody to it. And what made oh. you come up with the idea of oh. doing cocktails? Obviously, this is you've enjoyed doing cocktails for a while, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, yeah, so basically it's, uh, I'm on Instagram, it's um, at cocktails at home, Yeg for, you know, Y-E-G for Edmonton. Yeah. Um, I'm on TikTok, cocktails at home there. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. I just, you know what, I, I literally just, it was, it, it was around the time when they announced the second sort of um, set of restrictions here in Alberta mm -hmm. uh, going into the holidays. And, and, you know, we'd already been kind of through it a bit. And then, as you know, like here in Edmonton, I mean, we, we had restrictions and, you know, in, in March and April and May, and then they kind of got lifted a bit and we started to feel, and, and, you know, it was summer, so it was nice out. So we started to feel like a little bit normal again. And then the numbers exploded and then, um, you know, things had to get uh, reined in. So I just started, I just looked at myself and was like, well, I need to do something to, to stay sane. And I, I'm a, I, I'm a creative person. I have to output creativity. And uh, while I do have a bunch of projects going on, things are slower. And, um, and, 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 you know, the, the bands that take up most of my time and I put most of my work in, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of idling along, but there's, there's not a ton happening right at this moment. We're just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. So I, th I figured I'd have lots of nights on my own. Uh, just why not throw on the, the iPhone and make a video of me making a drink 
And um, I, I like, like I said, you know, in, in, in the real world, I, I like to uh, do that anyway, if I'm having parties with friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like to be sort of the one that uh, makes drinks for people or whatever. Um, so I just thought I would do it online. And um, it's the response has been really nice. Like a lot of people have been messing, ha- have been messaging me and, you know, sending me pictures of stuff that they're making at home and really oh, cool. enjoying it. And, and I'm, I'm a history geek a little bit. I, uh, when I get into something, I really research it a lot and I love history. So I thought that I would tell a little bit of a history of the cocktail as well. So rather than there's lots of channels out there that just make the drink and show you how to make it or whatever, but uh, there's less that kind of tell you where it came from. So I thought I'd include a little bit of that. And, and so far so good. It's just a bit of fun really for me and um, it's creative and yeah. It's a more well-rounded show with you providing that information for people, I think. It's cool. So much yeah. Learn. And yeah it's, it's interesting. How many of these are original Scott Green concoctions? Oh, none of them. Do you, <laughs> none do you of put them. your own special twist to any of them? Well, a, a few. Yeah, definitely no a few. Pun of them. There. Yeah, yeah. A few of them. I mean, uh, with uh, with some of them anyway, they're ones they're cocktails that I've been making for years. So I do I've sort of adapted them to my taste uh, and made some little tweaks here and there. But um, for the most part, it's um yeah I'm, I'm just kind of you know tweaking a recipe that already exists and kind of telling the history of that and uh, maybe i'll get into making some of my own i, I don't know uh, we'll, we'll see if that if we go down that route you know that'd be cool but it's worth doing the taste testing i wish I could yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh, sometimes i worry like i get i get messages from a few people every now and then they're like man are you like you're good like you're you're making a lot of cocktails at home are you like everything okay <laughs> like oh yeah no no problem i'm not like drinking all day or anything like that I, I'll, I'll plan them out and i'll have you know I, I will drink what i what i make but i um yeah i don't i, I try <laughs> i try to go overboard and i try yeah. to say like drink responsibly and that sort of thing because it is a time where you know you're locked in you, you know you there is a lot of opportunity for um uh, you, you know, people to drink more and you have to definitely be careful with that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for telling us about it. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. That's a wrap on an amazing interview with Nicholas Walsh. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. His band famous underground has a new EP coming out this summer. That's when we're aiming to have it released and you got to go make sure you check it out. All right. Famous Underground. That's the name of the band. They're going to be doing all kinds of cool stuff coming up for this year in 2021. It's been a rough year for doing live shows, but they're going to get some live stuff going for us very soon. So thank you again, Nicholas. And thank you, Scott. I had a great time with you guys. Next week on the show, my guest Don from the podcast, Three Interesting Things, will be here with me to discuss the groundbreaking rock band of the 90s, Living Color. So stick around and join us for that. And you guys take care. We'll talk to you soon. Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia. Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia. Or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope.